Hey, what's up? This is Gustavo Ariano. Every Friday, we're turning over the mic to one of my awesome LA Times colleagues. And today we welcome Maria Laganga, amazing writer and reporter with an incredible range of humor and heart. She's been writing for the paper on and off since 1981 and keeps getting better every year. And now she's on this podcast for the first time. A special note for our listeners today. We will be hearing and discussing war and casualties. These will be heavy topics. I'm Maria Laganga. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Today is September 17th, 2021. Nearly a week has passed since the nation observed the 20th anniversary of the September 11, 2001 terrorist attacks. We've talked a lot about how that day has changed our lives. We've watched the chaotic withdrawal of U.S. troops from Afghanistan. We've heard thousands of names read aloud of the men, women, and children who were killed on that terrible day. Thousands of others have died in the forever war launched by 9-11, including more than 7,000 men and women who wore the uniform of the U.S. military. The most recent deaths occurred in just the last few weeks. No state has lost as much as California. 776 men and women who called the Golden State home have died. That's 11% of the nation's total casualties from this war. Nearly 20% of those Californians who perished were old enough to die for their country, but too young to buy a drink. They left behind 453 children. That's according to California's War Dead, a Los Angeles Times database of the Californians who were killed in the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. For the families and the state, the loss from the war on terror is incalculable. We spoke to three families about loss, grief, and the decades that have passed since their loved ones were killed in the war on terror in April of 2004. Um, so can you tell me about your son? Oh my. <laughs> she, she's better than I am. My Leroy. Your Leroy. My I baby. read a little bit about him and he sounds like a really hilarious and very lovely man. Yes, he sure was. That's Giselle Harris and Leroy Harris Jr. Their son, Leroy Harris Kelly III, enlisted in the U.S. Army at age 17. He was married at 18, a father at 19, dead at 20. Leroy died during one of the two bloodiest months for California's military. He was killed in Iraq on April 20th, 2004 three years into the war on terror, three years after hijacked planes crashed into the World Trade Center and the Pentagon and a field in rural Pennsylvania, leaving behind a scar on this nation that has yet to fade and for families like the Harrises remains as fresh as ever. About 50 relatives and friends of 32-year-old Jerry Zavko gathered inside his suburban Cleveland home. Zavko's friends and Kusera says Jerry was a brilliant man, spoke five languages, and was extremely patriotic. 
A roadside bomb today killed an American soldier and wounded another in Baghdad. The soldier who was killed belonged to the U.S. Army's 1st Armored Division. My daughters were committed to their jobs, and I'm very proud of them. It's been difficult. The black, white, Asian, and Latino soldiers and Marines who lost their lives that April came from small towns and big cities, beach towns and the Central Valley. Their hometowns spanned from Vacaville to the north to Imperial in the south. Four were immigrants like Leroy, who was born in Costa Rica and came to Southern California with his parents when he was three years old. It was known to doing the Michael Jackson moonwalk dance. So the principal would go down the hall telling him, Leroy, do the moonwalk for us, and he would do it. This was at high school? No, no this was elementary school. Elementary. Yes, oh, he was always a dancer moon, and a singer. Yeah, I'll show you a picture of Leroy, oh, so you'll see. Yeah. Giselle Harris and Leroy Harris Jr. buried their son in the suit he wore to his senior prom at Azusa High School. His father had helped him pick it out a bright white number with a long jacket, gold buttons, and a black turtleneck. The Harrises still live in the townhouse where the young private first class grew up in Azusa, California. It is a shrine to their dead child, the teddy bear dressed in desert camo a patient gave her in her son's honor, the traditional trifold flag, her son's trumpet inscribed with his name because the young musician was talented but also absent-minded the framed letter to his younger sister, Jusely. It is signed Mighty Mouse, the nickname and affectionate nod to his size and strength. Every day, Giselle pins on a big round button that bears her son's uniformed likeness and the words, loving memory, Leroy. I carried him for nine months. He was with me for 17 years. I wish he was still here. So I'm, you know, some people turn around and ask me, why you still wear the pin? I said, this is my hero. This is my baby. Leroy was assigned to the 596th Maintenance Company, 3rd Corps Support Command, V Corps, in Darmstadt, Germany. His unit equipped and supported combat units, making sure weapons and vehicles were operational and ready for battle. On the day Leroy died, the 596th had finished its tour at the Taji Air Base in Iraq and was in a convoy heading to Kuwait, heading to safety. Leroy was driving a truck with a canvas roof supported by little metal bars. Sergeant Tyrone Worthen was in the passenger seat. They were pulling a trailer filled with water. The convoy was in the middle of nowhere when a sandstorm struck. The trailer flipped, taking the truck with it. A staff sergeant who was there told the Times that they found Tyrone Worthen alive and conscious. But Leroy was unresponsive. The young man's upper body had been crushed. The staff sergeant did CPR for 42 minutes. A medic later told him that nothing could have saved the young soldier. When I got the news over there, I went crazy, 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 crazy. I ran out to the street. I don't know, no car. I don't, I don't know. I don't even know who got me out of the street. We'll have more after this break.
The first two Californians to die during the month of April 2004 perished in Satter City. In fact, April 4th, also known as Black Sunday, was the largest casualty count in one day for the Army's 1st Cavalry Division since Vietnam. Sergeant Michael Mitchell was killed by Iraqi insurgents. Eight minutes later, Specialist Casey Sheehan died in the same attack. It's not just about the soldier that was killed, it's about that ripple effect and how did it hurt the families. And it just, it, it boggles the mind to think of all the generations of young men and women that we don't have. Our community is poorer here because Casey's not here. Sheehan's death created one of the fiercest anti-war activists of the era. His mother, Cindy Sheehan, set up a tent outside of then-President Bush's ranch in Waco, Texas, and stayed there for more than a month, demanding an audience. Her years-long protests garnered international headlines. No more money, no more appropriations for killing. Killing is barbaric, and we're here to say that this war is going to be over, and we're going to use Camp Casey and the peace movement to make sure that this never happens again. Casey Sheehan's death certificate reads KIA, hostile fire, gunshot wound to head. KIA means killed in action. But the 24-year-old former altar boy who dreamed of being an elementary school teacher wasn't the only casualty of that bloody ambush in the slums of Baghdad. When Casey died, his mother said, the Sheehan family died along with him. It's torn families apart. My husband and I got divorced. I'm positive we'd still be married if Casey hadn't been killed. And it's really hard on the siblings. Casey was the oldest. They didn't know their life without Casey. Cindy wrote about this in her 2005 memoir, Peace Mom, a mother's journey through heartache to activism. Her son's death plunged her into pain and grief and numbness. She wrote about feeling like a piece of rotted meat surrounded by flies and ugliness, of feeling wrung out and dehydrated by the tears that wouldn't stop, of being paralyzed by my pain and longing. So it was and you know, early 2005. And we were invited to stand up and tell our feelings. And everybody who stood up besides me were, oh, you know, our children died for freedom. They, we hate losing them, but, you know, we're, we're supporting our democracy. We're supporting the people of Iraq by their sacrifice. And I stood up and I just, I forget exactly what I said, but I was like, this is a war based on lies. Why would I? I think that my son sacrificed for a good purpose. He was sacrificed, I think. That's my opinion. She longed for the son who loved pro wrestling and called it soap operas for guys, whose Eagle Scout project involved planting 1,100 trees in the Angeles National Forest, who, as a seven-year-old studying for his first communion, would play Catholic mass with his younger sister, using wheat thins for communion wafers. His dream was to have a family. You know, he really wanted to have a family. He would have been a priest. But he said, no, I want to get married and have kids. It was her daughter, Carly, who helped Cindy claw her way out of the fog of grief. One day, when Cindy was at her lowest, Carly asked her mother if she wanted to hear a poem she had written. As she listened, Cindy wrote in her memoir, she was transformed 
from an ordinary human being into a crusader. This is what Carly wrote. Have you ever heard the sound of a mother screaming for her son? The torrential rains of a mother's weeping will never be done. They call him a hero. You should be glad that he's won. But have you ever heard the sound of a mother screaming for her son? It is a sacred duty to notify the next of kin when an active member of the military is killed. In the U.S. Marine Corps, the men and women who deliver the somber news are called casualty assistance calls officers. They try to knock on survivors' doors within eight hours of learning that a Marine has died. They arrived on Easter Sunday, 2004, the day First Lieutenant Oscar Jimenez, 34, was shot to death by insurgents in Iraq. Their first stop was the 29 Palms home where his wife and three children lived. Next was his mother's place in San Diego. And finally, his father's house in Seattle. Vanessa Jimenez, who was 15 when her father died, described how Marines in dark uniforms arrived to deliver the news on April 11, 2004, in a poem she wrote not long afterward. I asked why they were here, and Mommy said, God has taken Daddy away. Our big family misses you very much, especially Mommy. But don't worry, I will do my best to take care of her, just like you said on the phone. Vanessa's poem was included in her father's Los Angeles Times obituary. He was the 10th Californian to die that month. 12 more would follow. Seventeen years later, she and her mother, Alejandrina Jimenez, could not be reached for comment. And that's him and with his, with his little boy. Yeah, that's Oscar. Sonia Jimenez, Oscar's sister, is not surprised. She has not seen her sister-in-law, her niece, or her two nephews since 2005. The last time Sonia and Alejandrina spoke, Sonia said, was beside Oscar's grave at Greenwood Memorial Park in San Diego, where he was buried with full military honors. I was making frequent visits to the cemetery uh, when my brother passed, and I ran into my sister-in-law there. Um, obviously, she was grieving, and I'm sure she is still grieving. And she said she needed her space, that it was really hard for her, which I totally understand. You know, and I, I said, okay, I will talk to my family and we'll, we will give you your space. And, but when you're ready, please don't hesitate to, to call us, text us, whatever you need, we're here for you. And the reason I think she needed the space was because I think the support of our family was so overwhelming that she probably needed the space to cry, to scream, to do whatever it was she had to do. My sisters were, um, were there for her. We were talking to her. We were texting her. We were calling her. And 
it just may have, I thought at the time it was overwhelming. We need to back off, let her grieve, and then when she's ready, she'll come around. She has searched for Alejandrina and Vanessa to no avail. This extra layer of loss, she said, breaks her heart. Gatherings were important when he was there. It's almost like he was the glue of the family. Oscar, Sonia said, was always there for her. He was the one she'd call when her son wouldn't do his homework or balked at doing his chores. The one who made her extended family laugh. Who would sleep in his clothes as a high school student because he was always late for class. Who loved Thanksgiving turkey and would give little kids some unauthorized help during family Easter egg hunts. Who brightened any room he walked into. Since Oscar died, Sonia said, her mother's health has deteriorated. It's like uh, the family has never been the same without him, that I can tell you. That's for sure. My dad has never recovered. I don't think he'll ever recover. He's just, he has these random episodes where, again, you know, he shuts everybody out of his life because he missed, he, he had a really close relationship with my brother, so. Sonia's living room is hung with pictures of her brother. She keeps a photograph of him in her car visits his grave several times a year. I go on his birthday. If I miss a birthday, I will go the following day. Sometimes I run into some of his uh, buddies there. Sometimes, Alejandrina, she knows, has been there first. Because when I visit either that day or the next day, there's big red flowers. And I know that those are from her. That it'll say happy Father's Day or happy birthday. So I know I keep missing her, and, I, and there, there has been sightings of her. Sonia said she circles the cemetery in search of the elusive woman her brother loved. She circles. She searches. She hopes. Because the forever war has left a hole in her heart. And in Sheehan's? and the Harrises, and in every other loved one of a U.S. service member who died in the War on Terror, 776 men and women from California, more than 7,000 nationwide. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Marina Peña, Melissa Kaplan, and Ashley Brown. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editors are Shawnee Hilton and Lauren Rabb. And our theme music is by Andrew Eppen. Next week, Desmadre Extreme. Special thanks to Julia Turner, Hector Becerra, Shelby Grad, Steve Padilla, and Hiba Elorbani. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back next week with all the news in Desmadre. Gracias.